All right. Welcome to the 2024 Last Year Standing podcast wrap up. We, myself, Andrew Drummond with Monty McIndoe, we're going to jump into a couple interviews. We got one with Justin and Will, two people that I thought would be very interesting to hear their takes on since they're two totally different people. We got Will internal and Justin external. But uh, I hope a lot of people on the internet had a chance to watch it both through the Instagram or the, the timing and uh, there's a lot of interest in next year so uh, let's get right into it let's get into it happy Valentine's Day <laughs> thanks Monty uh, usually <laughs> we, we go through the numbers Monty's got numbers and then we can do a little bit of analysis on some of the the key moments yeah key skiers split borders Nordic skiers. Yep. It was a, a pretty wild year once again, and would like to certainly just quickly thank Black Mountain of Maine for providing the venue, taking care of us. Those guys are amazing. We're so fortunate to have them. Uh, couldn't ask for couldn't ask for more. We have all the volunteers. We got Ski Patrol, <laughs> and. Um, all the sponsors. All the sponsors, yeah. So there's just like a lot that goes into this, a lot of just logistics, making sure that all the uh, ducks are in a row to have a safe and successful event. And um, I feel like we did a pretty good job of that this year. I think so too. So where do you want to go? So let's go numbers. How's that sound? So we had 149 starters. Average laps per contestant per entrant was how many? I think I calculated. I we don't have it in spreadsheet form, so my math could be off. But I think we had we, historically it's been around sixteen percent. Sixteen laps. Sixteen laps, and I think we upped that. We did eighteen. Nineteen. Eighteen point five. Eighteen point five. I think it was eighteen point seven. I think you're actually right with that. All right, the drop off rate. So we, I th- think a lot of people are saying like, oh, the weather was this weather ideal for what it was being warm or not being so brutally cold, not being so windy. <laughs> 12-hour drop-off, we had only 38%, where it's historically been around in the low 40s. Low 40% drop-off. Now we only had 38% drop-off. Then we had, at 20 hours, we had 65% drop-off, whereas in the previous years, it was more like 75 76% drop-off. At 24 hours, 68% drop-off, whereas before it had been around 80% drop-off. That was a key number. I mean, I think that's that's pretty indicative of the conditions and the field. There were a ton of people still at 24 hours going through the start-finish. Thank goodness we had the, the chip timing this time because shouting out the numbers repeatedly would have been very, very challenging, even with the stellar crew that we have. At 48 hours, that's where it all starts to even out. We had 95% of participants had dropped, whereas before it was 97%. And it wasn't until we got to 72 hours that we got to a 98%, which was a full day later to that. So there was a, there was a whole squad of people that did that whole second day into the third day. And it was just, I mean, it was a little nutty. People, I'd say people leveled up. And you can you can attribute that to the bar's been raised. People see what's possible. Yep. Attribute that to the weather. Yep. And you can attribute that to the field. 
just it takes it takes a couple dedicated stubborn people yes <laughs> to uh push this thing yeah and we had them we had them in spades uh yeah and when i think of if we go through some of the categories really highlight on like split border um woman and then the overall yep and you know i think going to this we knew we had favorites and they all sort of lived up to the hype the one we were way off on was uh avery collins who turns out to be a split border so that's on me did not know that very poor research yep and but as far as the woman goes pretty much what you saw is what you got Alyssa, um alana and hillary all right up there and anyway who else i was trying to think there was the women's field dropped off a little bit we had a lot registered and then a lot drop a lot drop leading the event which i'm bummed on and i want to make want to want to get those numbers up because alana was just left there with all the dudes and that was part of the reason that i'm sure she was like yeah i've already i'm good i'm good i've set set the record and i don't know how much i want to be out here with all the dudes so that's that's one of my takeaways it's like yeah how do we keep keep the women's field make the women's field deeper because that's what's going to push things right forward if we look at split borders i felt like there were more split borders this year but I, i'd have to check more split borders that went deep mm-hmm. absolutely so jack murphy going for the three peat and leveled up it went big you went from 30 37 laps last year i believe yeah. To 45 yeah. this year. And he had a major lung issue that he felt for months after last year from yeah. breathing the cold air. And it seems like he got it figured out. But when I, st- he hiked uh, one of my days on Washington with me this summer and he was just talking about it, how much of a toll that took on him. So pretty impressive for him to come back and, and 45 laps. It's a lot of laps. And then if we just again go into the the front runners, the f- the final like I don't know, let's see here. Kind of look at like the I'm looking at like that second night. Yeah, the second night, and it was like Alana kind of dropped off. Then Matt Samansky, he tapped out, and it was it was a while after Matt. There was like this pack of eight, Jack. Um, then Ian Connell, who again, he, he went, he went to 50 laps, whereas the year before definitely, definitely improved quite a bit there. But I think the story goes to these final six or these final, sorry, the final four, um, no, final six. Sorry. So when you're looking at Cameron French, Lucas, Ben Lane, Brent Undercoffler, Will Reed and Justin Lagasse, those six so impressed um talk about cam french first so <clears throat> cam french showed up and i was looking you know we look at what people's gears and i'm not big of it i see this guy come in i'm like he's on backcountry nordic gear with skins on it and soft boots and i was like i can't even imagine doing anything close to that and he's just skiing like he looks like he's doing because he's doing telly turns and he's just like cruising along, like no problem, like no sweat, no biggie. And then it was like, okay, maybe this is just a, like he's just doing it as a goof or just for fun. 
then he just kept on being there and kept on being there. But he didn't look like he was struggling in the conditions or anything. I've been out on backcountry Nordic gear at the resort. It's not pretty, especially if you're in the nylon boots. And he was in nothing special. He had a he had um an explorer setup though initially that had a heel riser and more the, of a hard shell boot. The madhouse. The the first go around. Yeah. And I didn't catch that he was out on Nordic from the get go. And yeah. I'm wondering in hindsight, made me think, did I have something on the rules about Nordic? Is that allowed? I, w- I mean, we'll see. And then I got worried because here's this guy going deep and is he going to break the system? Is he going to be the last backcountry Nordic guy standing? I was hoping. I I was initially not hoping and then he won me over. This dude's wearing jorts. He's like, this is what I race in. I've only ever raced in these classic Nordic yeah. peculiarities there. And in hindsight though, he's having binding issues and not to say that the whole field wasn't having binding issues, but then it became like a safety thing. I'm like, are these, these are not designed for downhill skiing, especially in these conditions. No, he, he ripped the bindings out near the top at, it was way into the fifties lap. It was the sunrise lap of that third day. He done 40 something laps in those 40 plus laps. There's an, there's a drone photo. And there's a tracks right down the middle that I posted. And Hillary's like, oh, I thought that was just a moose track or some animal. No, 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 no. It was him running down. So he runs down the entire length of the mountain. We're like, where is he? Where is he? He runs down, gets to the bottom with seven minutes to spare, sits down in his chair. And as I'm talking to you now, goes, wow, I just got my heart rate up. First time this weekend. No sweat. No fluster, no nothing. <laughs> then then he starts saying, do you have any Loctite? And I was like, I don't think Loctite's fixing what ills you with these things. That, it's just a reminder that you need doubles of everything. Gear failure was a plenty. Yeah. We saw Alana. Ripped I mean, two pins off of her hard boot split board setup and was still raring to go. And there's nothing you can do. It's not like I have a spare hard boot toe piece. No. Um, hard boot anything. Mm-hmm. Then, anyway, so he, but he finally tapped out. Cam finally tapped out because he had, he was like, yeah, this is not, this descending is getting. Is is not safe. We said bad. to him, hey, listen, we can probably find you. You have a very common foot, a pair of schemo boots and some schemo skis. Do you want to try that? You mean you offered yours? I offered mine. And he goes, nope, my feet are perfect. I don't want to trash them. So he's like, there's absolutely nothing wrong with my feet, and I don't want to do that. So he made it many, many laps. 54 laps. 54. Yep. Um, Right in front of him is Lucas, Jane Latis. Yeah. So Lucas would, Lucas had an issue on like lap 26 and his mother was like, take some ibuprofen and get out there. You didn't train this hard to stop now and gave him a little encourage, a little physical encouragement to get back out there. That was like 30 laps later. Then she's saying at the end, I want you, I, I don't need a dead son. 
I need straight you, up. I need you to be alive for me for a bunch of years. You don't even know what's going on. He's like, come on, mom. I just want to go out there and ski some more. The 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 struggles of having family crew you. Oh yeah, are it, real. It was like the 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 year when it was um, Ben, ben Eck versus Brody, when he when Ben Eck pushed his dad and said, "Get out of the way, get out of the way, Dad. I have a plan." It's like, I mean, it was great that Will had his his father was like super supportive and like just kind of took a back seat and like just just tell me what you need me to do or just did the stuff, but. When the when the parent when the crew starts asking you how are you doing or maybe you shouldn't do this anymore, that's a tough one. And to be fair, Lucas really was losing a little bit of touch with reality. He's, he at when it was all done, he's like, yeah, I don't really remember a what, lot of it. what happened. He does. He said, lap at least fifty five. The last five laps, he was like, I don't really know what went down. But I skied. I skied with him for a lap and he's a great skier made it down no problem so uh, another incredible uh, ultra performance by lucas i mean he's done bubba's he's done all this other stuff and he's young and he loves this stuff and it shows moving into fourth ben lane uh ben lane hit his 200th lap on sunday Right, Sunday afternoon or yep. sun, Sunday early Sunday afternoon. Yep. And he wanted us to know that the ultra sign up was wrong by one lap. That's why it was that lap, not the lap after. So, yeah, two hundred laps he's done, and he's done. Yeah, yeah, That's, his career lap count is through the roof. Yeah, he's well on his way to three hundred. Two hundred and eleven. He's done all five editions. So. Um, he we talked about a little bit later, but he had some sleep issues. He put up twenty more laps than he did the year before. So Ben, he was on a pair of normal backcountry skis, ninety five underfoot, and I was able to sneak his foot into some skimo skis. And he was only planning on going fifty laps, mm-hmm. but as soon as he got into skimo skis, he pushed out another sixteen laps. Where have you been all my life? So I think we're making we're converting people slowly. This one pair of skis went from Steve Larrick to Ben Lane to Will Reed, yeah. all in the same event. Those skis had no idea what they were getting into. No. They have quite a pedigree at this point. Um, all right. So Brent Undercoffler, another favorite. He showed up big. And, like, I'm, I was worried about him because I thought that as the event would go on, he would have these traumatic flashbacks from the previous year thinking like why why am i doing this this is dumb this was really really hard last year to fight through that and i don't know to find that motivation to improve upon what you've already done which was 62 laps yeah last year i don't know it kind of blows my mind to try to get that extra extra performance but he, his feet were immaculate. Yeah. When you talk about like some of the feet picks we saw early on, just, just super, super horrendous. positive, super prepared. Right. I mean, he had, it, he had this stuff dialed. You could tell he was struggling with sleep, just tired, all the, all the stuff that everyone's dealing with, but it seemed mild. It seemed like, all right, low grade. Yeah. Low grade suffering through that, um, that third night. But he, he made it through. 
And then he's like, yeah, I got that third sunrise. I think I'm good. These guys can duke it out. And I wonder, you like to talk to him about what his content level, if he's how content he is with 73 or if there's something still burning for more. I mean, the numbers are just going up and he's helping drive the process. So that's twisted. And then, yeah, the final two, we talk with them in the interviews, but like, what, what was your takeaway Monty from outwardly just in our position? Who was your horse day one, day two, day three, did it change? So <clears throat> two for two days, I wanted to, that Cameron French to go. I was like, he's on the light. He's, he has gained the system. You know, he, he's spamming the light button. He's totally fit. I asked his dad, I was like, you know, what's with him in the skiing? This Nordic. He's like, he's been on Nordic skis since he was eight months old. You know, he loves it. And then, you know, kind of switched over. I thought for a while, it, I, I thought that Justin was going to burn out. I thought that the enthusiasm was going to waver and that something was, he was going to hit a snag, you know, a shoelace was going to break and he was going to go all out. But his, his boa broke. We fixed that. He got back in his shoes. So I was like, he's, he really, you know, some people I think it's a facade that they're that enthusiastic. He really is that enthusiastic. And then William Reed was methodical, robotic, focused. I was like, he's like the Terminator. He's just going to keep on going. And when he said, it, I think it was a choice for him not to keep going. Not that he couldn't keep on going. I was like, you know. Clearly. Yeah. He didn't, he didn't come close to timing out. And no. he didn't show some of these other guys like slowly faded into that 55 range yeah. and it was getting tight. And you're like, I know that they're having, I know they're struggling with it. But he was like, that's why I was asking him in, in the interview, you know, here later on. I was like, was this easier than you thought? He's like, you know, I did more volume. I did this. I did that. I had the planning. I had the you know, like food dial. Like it's the starting. It's, I don't know how you can train for the starting and stopping, especially when it gets to be 50, 60, 70 times. Like, Turn it back on. Let's get back up. And Will was an obvious threat to Justin. And Justin was like, you know, he he was trying to feel it out because he knew Will's sort of strategy of like this, this certain pace that he was hitting. And Justin's like, oh, he's just going too fast. Like, there's no way he's going to sustain this. And Justin was like just slightly behind him, I think, for most of the event. You know, if I look at Justin's splits, um, Justin had some fast times too. I mean, he was in the 37s, 36s. Uh, he would, he would just he was sort of bouncing around. He had way more deviation than Will, where he had a lot of these like 40 mid 40s and then but then he'd bump back into like 38 in, in the 30s and it's really interesting like how Justin was floating, probably just having conversations. Yeah. You know, that one time he went in the patrol shack and really milked the lap but I think Justin was also trying to trying to get a gauge on Will trying to maybe break him a little bit there were times I heard Justin ask like Will how are your feet how are your feet trying to get him to think about maybe some weak points if his feet were bothering him or Justin was like I'm gonna go out in front of you and maybe I can change your pace maybe I can like adjust this a little bit and and 
make Will burn a match, but I don't think Will was really phased. I think Will just got frustrated, as he mentions, about pacing. Yeah. And if someone's in front of him, it might change his overall pace. Yeah. You can check out. I'm looking on Justin's splits, and lap 56 was his fast lap, which was the cash lap. Yeah. Where we had a, a Instagram live and threw, threw our Venmo out. And I'm like, this is the cash lap for lap 56. And uh, people threw down. We got 460 something dollars, I think, out of it. And uh, Justin was the only one that cared. Yeah. Justin's like, I'll, I'll bite. Sure. So he, he ended up doing a 34 minute lap. Yeah. 56 laps. 56. Yeah. It's really 57 hours into it. Yeah. Which is pretty insane. Um, other storylines. Definitely talking about the lightning, uh, and, we, and we asked Justin about that. But that that lap kind of twisted things up a bit. Freezing cold rain. Yeah, we had this warm, this cold front move in. Right, that's what yep. happened over this the the warm air, and it just unloaded. Yeah, started with lightning, and then freezing cold rain. And we yep. knew on the forecast, we had Lepresti sneak us a little. Oh, hey, by the way, this thing's moving faster than expected. He's like at three fifteen, it's going to start. But There's we didn't. Front coming through. There was no chatter about thunder and lightning no so that totally caught us off guard when all of a sudden boom one lightning right. thing and we're like all right so, whatever and i and typical i just gone to sleep and then the lightning goes off and the thunder goes off and i thought it sounded like a glacier had sheared had calved and i was like what the hell was that i better get up and then it went off again but this time i'm halfway down the steps they go out there was like oh they're coming back down the hill there was lightning so, okay, I went in and checked with ops in Black Mountain, Maine. Said, what's going on with you guys? But the weird thing was, too, like people come down for safety and then they went inside the tent next to the 18-foot-tall aluminum poles that are standing. I'm like, you do not want to be standing there in a lightning storm. Yeah. Now, it's a healthy precaution because anything can happen up there. But my take was like, yeah, I didn't really think the first strike was that seemed that close, but the second one was really close. And at that point, yeah. It was like flash bang, the second one. So the whole mountain shut down operations. And the good thing was it was just quick in and out. That storm was gone, able to resume at, at 4 o'clock. And during that time, though, some people benefited. Some people got some sleep. And then other people, you know, think about it. They came down by like, I don't know, 3.30. So they had way you know, a significant extra amount of time before starting back up at four again. But some people are just like, yeah, I'm over it. It's kind of like enough time to think and reflect and, and bail. And then other people just capitalize and got some sleep. Uh, and so it just kind of reset things where we had to scratch that lap. But that was a first. And we've always talked about racer's discretion and how do you maneuver through this. And that was kind of a no-brainer, made sense. And I think everyone was... Didn't really skip a beat. Hillary's chiming in over here. She says that um, it brought them closer together, being that close to death. And we had to, we got to, we had to talk about it. We all talked about it. Um, oh, and about that though, Will was in the front, so we didn't even talked to him about that. Like, what? How did that lap affect his psyche? Which yeah. I don't think it did. He, I don't think it did either. He went. I think my understanding is almost all the way to the top. 
And they're like, well, shouldn't we do something for the thing? I was like, no, it's a redo and we're not doing anything for it. So people always want like, oh, should give him a half a lap. I'm like, okay, he here's half a lap. <laughs> it doesn't change things. You're still going to have to go back out. But that was that was a freak thing. I we've always dealt with weather and and this year when we say it was pretty mild, there was still wind that was blowing over and imploding tents. Brent's tent got destroyed. Throttled. Yeah. Um It but, gets it gets I mean we're on a mountain in the northeast. It gets windy. Every, every over the next four days it's gonna get windy. Yeah, and there's levels of cold. Yeah. That are gonna affect anyone everyone a little differently. So it was recommended that we have a tent ban and a hot food pan <laughs> to make everything go quicker. Yeah. I, I don't, we've, I had, we have a lot of thoughts, a lot of thoughts on this event because as, it, as you feel like you lose control over it and the, the performances just keep going up, it's like, how do you, how do you figure this out as a race director? Cause there's so many moving parts involved as to how, how to run this thing and how much work it takes and how far does it go? Well, I don't know. It depends how far the participants go. Just, uh, we just, were, we were, I mean, it's obviously like we take better care of ourselves than we can take better care of the event. But the, just the underlying anxiety of what is happening. These guys have cracked the code. Neither of them are going to stop. We're going to go into a fourth night Right, we we have we have two jobs. One is to love them, and the other one is to keep them safe. And the keeping them safe is like, yeah, it's a concern. That's why we want to be there when they come in, and when they go out, just to check in and see like what's going on. Are you are you with us? Are you on the same place? But yeah, we want everybody to be safe. But it's you know, we know you're tired. It's like how far can you go? But is, I mean, I I don't I don't see any reason to change anything. I don't either. I mean, it's it. That's the draw of the race and I, the event. And I was thinking that we would do. Oh, what if we just capped it at eighty laps? Whoever could make it to the that's like a finish, and that defeats the whole point of this event. That the whole point is the unknown, and that there's no no one's capping what you can and can't do. I mean, in, so I I don't know why, but I think last year standing versus Bubba, last year standing is easier i'm not saying it's easy i'm just saying it's easier because you have coasting you have skiing you have all that stuff whereas bubba's if you're not moving you're not moving like gravity's not going to help you at all it's only gravity against you and they've had those those other ultras that have gone into the 100 hour range i i agree to some some point i think it's easier in many ways i think it's a little unfair in the sense that gear is so gear dependent, like getting schemo skis and carbon boots and all this stuff is only going to help, help you. I think with Bubba's is that Bubba's hasn't found its limit at all. Obviously some conditions aren't great, but it takes people, it takes a deep field to push things deep or at least two people that really need to battle it out. And I, I think with, last year standing we're we're getting people that are willing to to push a little further i mean a a, a larger not big but a larger west coast contingent showed up right mm -hmm. not even west coast but like 
Mississippi yeah, I West. And I don't know how much deeper the field was, to be honest, more than like how much the field had kind of figured things out and learned from previous seasons, previous years. But you're right. Like there's no denying that the ski format, I think, is less impact on the body. Yeah. And if you're prepared, fundamentally an easier activity. But who who is the guy from that came from Seattle? Guy, his his daughter went went to Northeastern. He said to her, "If you go to Northeastern, I'll come out. I think I'm going to do this this event last year standing. I'll bring your mom." He came out here. He did the event. He stopped on Sunday. They got back to Boston. He got on a plane. He flew back to Seattle. They got back home. They unpacked. They went to bed. They woke up. The event was still going on. So it, it's all this life can go on and people are still it's going. a mind fuck to think that people go into work on friday this event starts maybe they're tuning in and then the weekend goes by and they go back to work and it's still going on these people have still been doing the same damn thing hour after hour uh it, i didn't we had numbers going into this so we weren't too far off you said 72 i said 69 uh, i don't know i don't know what to think so I so we got questions. So I, that's what I know. What, know what we can go into is that, you know, there's a couple of these questions. One is like, do you think? Uh, there was one about year over year. Like, is it going to keep improving? Well, I think we we saw that last year that it didn't. It went 63 hours, and it just depends on who shows up, the conditions, and uh, everything else. How many total laps were skied this year? Oh, that's a good question. How many total laps for ski this year? I can tell you. I think it's 147. Total laps? The cumulative. Uh, no, not the. Oh. Go on. 2,788. Gotcha. I'm trying to think of my number, what I was thinking of. How much vert? 3,136,500. Miles? Uh, 7,000. 806 all right which our, I tried our numbers to, are the same which i try to do a circle around from rumford maine around like how far could you go it's somewhere in asia but i couldn't find any big city that was relevant so what other numbers you got mm, what's all i got what, what is, the question i have is what is will do that he was mentioning standard deviation software guy is he yeah um, I got questions. Yep. We got questions, and then we'll get into the interviews here. I get Justin to talk about how he was always smiling. Okay, listen to the listen to the interview. Uh, trends in boots and ski bindings. Frozen. Very frozen. Frozen toe pieces. We had this humidity. We had this cloud layer, freezing cloud. In fact, Route 16 shut down because it locked up. And same thing happened to bindings, and we need to do a general PSA because some of the safety issues we had were people popping out of their bindings because snow was ice was building up under the toe piece, and they weren't able to lock out proper, like step in properly, so their toe was loose, and led to pre-releases and just like a shit show of just trying to. We initially were starting to pick stuff out, and someone's like, "Oh, just pour water." I'm like, "Don't do that. That's a horrible idea." Then all of a sudden, we're pouring water on stuff, and it's magic, like hot water. Fixes everything. Hot water and a quick blow it off and it's all set. Yeah. That, so that's one thing we need to get on top of next year is like everyone needs to inspect their toe pieces. You know, put your toes locked into ski mode when you're not in your binding. And that will help prevent snow as well from getting in there. But that was crazy, you know. 
I think in general, there was a lot more schemo people than we've had in years past. Yeah. And yeah, just general, you're seeing the gear get a little bit lighter uh, compared to the previous years, but nothing, nothing crazy. Um, you're seeing a lot of people with more liners and just learning how to take care of their feet better. So I think if you want to do well at this, you need a couple extra pair of boot liners right. so, and plenty of socks. Cause if you just change your socks, you're not, you're not getting anywhere, right. which means we need to have a big power bank slash outlet line because it was, it was mobbed. Yeah. Um, all right. So then oh, another question. Why? Mr. Adam X. Well, I don't know. Ask ask your buddy there, Adam. Or why not? Yeah, why not? Why why are you not there representing the Tele crowd? Right. We'll get you out next year. We got a question. How did the heavy hitters get through the mentally dark places on nights two and three? Your guess is good as mine. No idea. I don't I don't get it. When I talk to uh, when I talked to Justin out there, he's like, if you move your spotlight up a little bit, so you're looking forward and then have the beam like a little wider, it really helps. Like if you're just staring at your feet, it was no good. But if you looked up a little bit, it definitely helped everything it helped like probably your mechanics too. All right. Ryan Mullins who donated, right? Didn't you get a match a nonprofit match going? Yes. Uh, he has a question. Have you had any sports psychology PhD candidates inquire about studying last year standing? Um, not really, but more so on the, the safety side. I think there's always like medical organizations that want to volunteer and think what we're doing is interesting. It'd be a good opportunity to help out. Uh, but it would be interesting because when Justin asked if he was like, all right, what medical checks do we have to make sure we're good to go back out? And it's like, well, we're watching you. We're looking for abnormal behavior, but what's your baseline, Justin? Cause what I've seen from lap one is consistent with uh, lap 70. Yes. All right. If you had your choice of conditions, prefer what they were or three days pow refills. Uh, yeah. That's from Thomas Prindle. I think I would take, you know, the pow. That would be brutal if they were like breaking trail or like skiing powder. Their legs would fall off. You know, they were able to just slide with like zero resistance down that down that course and we've had some snow in, in previous years right yeah it just blew off the mountain yep um the wind is a killer all right how are they feeling themselves they anything and everything and it changed you know some people started off on a plan and quickly derailed and it was yeah. there's a lot of upset stomachs too I yeah think a lot of people just felt nauseous and had and all of a sudden that was the writing on the wall when they couldn't put anything else in but I liked I liked Will's response about kind of alternating some solids and liquids. Yeah. All right. What is the 2025 event date? When does registration open? Well, you'll have to follow follow us. You know, a lot of people complain about missing the the window, but it was all of September. So come on, people. Go get, on, get on the wait list. Yeah, go on. Uh, just follow us on Instagram. Or you know you know when it, the the best thing to do is to be look back to what weekend it's been the past five years, which has been what weekend, and then plan for that weekend. But to be fair, if someone's not clued in, it can be that finding the window of the entry can be you can forget about it. Because if I go back and I read what 
you know, Justin got in off the wait list, but do you know what he emailed me? He sent me something back in October, October 2nd. This is like right around, must have been right around Bubba's, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. All right. So, hey, Andrew, congrats on another extremely successful sellout round of last year's standing, which leads me to this very awkward situation of asking for a wild card entry because I didn't realize that the lottery was in September. And now I have some very serious, very serious FOMO. It is currently uh, the only ski race on my calendar this year, and I intend to win if you allow me to enter. Given that my son has uh, been sleepless uh, training uh, for the last year or so, I feel like I have the excellent chance. Thank you for your consideration. Pray for snow. Well, Justin, wasn't that very uh, fortuitous? Oh, so there's a so he should be disqualified based on that. No, he got off the wait list. I'm just saying. I'm saying that he, I mean, that he missed the deadline and all that, and there was like irregularities. I mean, I would asterisk that thing okay. right there. All right. Just get that trophy to Will. <laughs> so, yeah, pay attention. We're, we're, we drop all the info online. It's not that difficult. Any other fun ones? Is 100 laps possible? Yes. It's, well, it's certainly possible, but did two people want to do it? And it sounds like no one wants to go into that. Possible and probable are two different things. Oh, who wants to go into that next night? All right, let's see what else. All right, Monty's got to go. We're going to wrap, we'll wrap this up. Uh, thank you everyone for uh, making this event so special. We will have more info on the rest of the event upcoming uh, for next year, 2025. Enjoy the interviews. Thanks everybody. All right. We are live with the 2024 last year standing. Justin Lagasse. What's up, Justin? Living the dream. Just uh, got my Z's in and uh, went to work today and delivered a good class um, where my students all read Instagram comments from your post to me, um, which was horrifying and delightful. I will say that all positive and uh, that's rare these days on the Internet to have that much. It was positive. Feedback. It was ridiculously positive. Yeah. Yeah, people were very happy. Um, some were scared for the girlfriends, which, um, you know, <laughs> understandable, but married man here, so we're, we're committed. We're all good. It's, <laughs> no fears. The, the, the comments, careful, my girlfriend uses this app. Yeah. Referring to Justin's uh, ski video on that. Yeah. But any, no, seriously, though, tell me about how things unfolded right after. I mean, 76 hours plus the time you woke up, you said you didn't sleep well uh, the night before. What does that look like when you unravel after 76 hours of skiing and then all the prep? Uh, I mean, all the prep is the the not sleeping well the night before. Um, I actually slept great right up until my alarm went off, completely unnecessary at six o'clock, which is kind of my normal waking time. Uh, but being up until 11 the night before, you know, I, I probably could have done with a nine hour instead of a seven hour, but that's, that's neither here nor there. Um, the, the 76 hours that followed the start gun going off, that was a wild ride. Um, I knew it would be that there would be highs and lows, but, uh, 
I guess I just wasn't prepared for exactly what the uh, what the last gear standing train was about to bring. Um, <clears throat> especially towards the end, uh, I remember being quite concerned that the event would just never end because we uh, we had just learned how to defeat sleep, and that uh, like maybe there I was like, are there psychological protocols in place? Like what? And then you guys pointed out that I was talking about the tax code, like in a rather cogent manner. And I was like, I guess I am sane enough to continue, but it was, it was, a we were in the hurt locker for a while there. Well, and then, and then, and then after, after the event, after the event actually was, was great. I was on cloud nine. Um, yeah, I think we spent like, an hour packing up. I was frantically typing away sub plans because I figured I would not be in work the next day. Um, actually, the last like three to four laps, I was like trying to ski 40 minute laps, come down, write 15 minutes of sub plans to get ready for work the next day. <laughs> and then uh, going back out and doing it again. Um, but I knew I had to get them done during the day because, man, when it when it goes to night, everything is that much harder. Um, and after getting through like the first night actually was kind of the hardest night. The second night we had some systems going. The third night was, um, went decent actually, like pretty smooth. And, uh, as soon as I saw that sunrise come up and, uh, and we shot that video, the one that everyone, you know, that is labeled as the last lap, but I'm like, oh, that actually wasn't anywhere close to the last lap. So I came down from that, you know, best friend of my life. Um, and I just handed the headlamps to my wife and I said, put them back on the charger because we're going out for night four. And that's when I was, she was like, oh, you're, the, yeah, you're going to win this one. So that was, that was, uh, that was that. Right. Many yeah. more moments in between, but yeah, there's, there's a ton to talk about. Um, but, you know, we got, we got other things to do here. I, I want to get to the nuts and bolts of this. Like, but first I think a lot of people that listen to this might not be familiar with who you are. I, I know mm -hmm. you from the schemo, but I know that you've got like this, this background in, in bikes. So give a quick story of your, your kind of what set you up to do so well in this event. Hmm. Um, yeah, well I was born in 1991. Um, uh, no, and then I'll fast forward a bit. Uh, yeah, I was on a college ski racing team for Alpine. Um, so being a college ski racer, got done, moved up to Maine to pursue hard cider making and kind of discovered this mountain at Ricker Hill. And um, and around the same time, discovered mountain bikes. And I just started cutting mountain bike trails and getting after it. And like every year I'd do more and more bikes until I eventually, um, actually after training at Jesse Wall's gym, another schemo guy, the True Strength uh, gym, I... Uh, kind of got up the courage to quit my job and go full time on pursuing a profession in mountain bikes, which isn't, it's odd. I used to think that like being a professional athlete or a lifty were like kind of the only jobs in the outdoor world. Um, and have since discovered that there's like a plethora of different ways to make a living in this outdoor recreation space. Um, so I was trail building and coaching mountain bikes and, um, getting a little bit faster every year and kind of eventually made it to 
the enduro world series which is kind of the the pinnacle of um enduro racing i mean i wasn't i wasn't at the pointy end but i was still like i was in the show so that was that was my uh my accomplishment there and kind of like at that same time in my mountain bike journey and just like somebody was like oh we should do a 10,000 foot vertical ride day and the idea of doing like 10,000 vert on a mountain bike was like oh that's gonna take like 12 hours or something and I was like that sounds kind of fun so we did that and then we did like a 15k and then it was like well shoot the next big number after that would be an Everest so I did this uh enduro Everest on you know heavy enduro bikes like pedaling up Highland um did it in 24 hours uh, actually I did it in 25 hours we like did the laps that we thought we needed to do in 24 and then discovered that we were uh 600 vert short had to pound out that last lap um what was the lap down the, oh all of them we did really? every trail at highland yep so that's the difference between your event and my event as i was like i'm gonna i'm gonna ride all of the trails if we're going up one trail we're gonna come down all of them um and it was actually feature complete as well which was like did every single feature at highland bike park which is um it's kind of gnarly like there's some there's some big gap jumps like rode the slope course lunch lady. um oh yeah definitely did lunch lady did uh robert's view which is like not on the map that one was kind of crazy actually i came up like six inches i never hit the jump before but i was eighteen thousand feet into this climbing challenge and i'm like i feel really good i think i got this and came up like six inches short and flipped over the handlebars and had like this major wreck but so uh i walked away from it fortunately mom's a pt so i just called mom and i said like you know i feel kind of stiff and sore but i think i'm all right and she's like yeah you're crazy if it gets worse stop (laughs) i've always abided by that like if it gets if you have something that's like hurting and it gets worse then you stop but if it just hurts like just keep going until it gets better um so yeah did a couple more uh, climbing challenges and then I got into schemo and uh, had my eyes set on the 24 hour um, challenge for a while. Like I think 24 hours is kind of my limit being from like a sleep deprivation perspective. Seemed kind of unhealthy to go multiple days without sleep. Um, so I was like, all right, like I'll do that. Tried for the uh, for the double Everest last year and came up short which was like painful but the process of training for that and like learning how to go fast over a long period of time was really beneficial and um as well as doing like shorter schemo events like two hour um or really like hour and a half schemo events um four thousand feet five thousand feet of climbing those are like pretty meant Mr. Drummond and I had a had a nice battle at Mount Abrams one snowy day. Was it, was it like blowing snow sideways or something? And sounds about right. I think there was some, some skin failures that played into the end result. Like I think you were you were up there, and then somehow there was like a skin thing that happened. And yeah. I don't know, but um, this was the, fin- yeah, was the like, finale of the True Strength Schemo thing a couple years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds about right. But um. Yeah, so learned how to do schema, learned all the particularities of transitioning fast and 
keeping care of your equipment and making sure that your boots are all dialed. And it's just been like, it's been a learning process. And, uh, and I really value that, like getting, getting stuck into something and just learning all the details of it. Um, and transferring knowledge from one place to another. Like I knew how to knew how to do the nutrition from the mountain bike side. So then transferring the nutrition to schema was like pretty, pretty straightforward, pretty easy. Um, but then obviously skis and skins are all different and the transitions and yeah, it was, it's really, really cool to like learn that skill set, And, uh, and then bringing it to last year standing was like a whole nother logistic challenge. Didn't know there was so much to learn about lawn chair setup and, uh, sleeping bag efficiency and yeah yeah it's a lot i mean so much to it when you're looking at this event you're battling uh the gear you know your fitness nutrition the elements there's like there's so much going on and self-preservation it's like what it all comes down to it's how do you keep moving how do you stay uh how do you stay with it enough to just not let those lows sink in you know yeah, no, that's a, I think that's a great summary of it. Cause it's like, there's so many different ways that you can tap out or, or like be pushed to the point of tapping out. Like your feet could get just destroyed. Um, sleep deprivation definitely is a thing. Just being freaked out by the, like on, even on night one, the huffalumps started uh, appearing on the side of the trail in the low light, you know, and you're like, what's that? And like, Am I hallucinating? And you're like, no, I'm, uh, I made up a new word. I'm delusionating. And like not, not full on hallucinations, but just like taking like a, a sparkly light in a, in a line that's just barely visible by headlamp. And then you're like, transform that into something crazy, like a tractor. And you're like, I know that's not a tractor, but I just, that's like what your brain does. So, uh, yeah, it turns out like bright headlamps, bright headlamps scare away the huffle lumps. If you just have enough, enough lumens on snow, even going uphill, that was like tremendously helpful. Discovered that kind of like end of night one, night two. Um, yeah. And then like the cold, I know a, a bunch of people quit because of the cold, actually quitting because of, uh, the snow conditions locking up and just not being able to ski it well um or skiing it like bone chatteringly do you think that and your I, race background gave you an advantage on that oh hell yeah um i think i scared andrew a bit on like day three when i told him that if uh if he was watching that there should have been like b-net all the way down the trail um because i was skiing it like a downhiller and <laughs> he was like you're you're out of control with schema um, no, skis not locked in and with all the icing issues and everything else. Like, yeah, that freaked me out. Um, which brings up discussion for, for future events and next year, but we'll save that. Yeah. I have some ideas on how to, I don't know, but so for, but I would say that the way I skied it was to be as smooth as possible and break in the, like use uh use the flat 
snow surfaces for the speed control and like picking my spots to slow down. Um, whereas I think some people were just trying to like side slip the whole thing and they were just side slipping over every single bump. And that's just jarring on the body. Whereas if you arc a couple turns and then like have a spot where you're going to slow down, I mean, like we, we knew the course well enough by, uh, by lap 30 that you kind of know where you can scrub speed and where you can let it run a little bit. Um, so I thought, I thought I was within my limits and like every, every corner was pretty dialed. Um, I was well within my, I, I should rephrase. I was well within my limits but my limits may have been a bit different than somebody else's limits given the ski racing background. So I've been fighting ski patrol on that my whole life. So I have some questions for you, please. So a lot of people I've seen go out very enthusiastic and I would bring that to the just one lap, just one more. Yeah. Right. How much of that was for you and how much was that for the crowd or competitors? Yeah, it was funny because uh, so at the end, Danny was ribbing me. He's like, I thought you were only doing one more lap every time like you were going to quit after the next one. Um, but no, I, I think it is. I, I guess it's for everybody. Um, one, I think it was really funny for everybody. And uh, one of my questions, so I did like a question of the lap. Every every lap I asked my competitors a question or uh, not even competitors, but just everyone out there and just a little point for discussion. One of them was, uh, if you had a star quality, what would it be? And I said, mine would be making people giggle. Um, and I, I felt like that was, you know, a bit of a showman. I love, love amping up a crowd. Um, so the one more lap was a bit for the crowd, but it was also like a mantra to remember, like, what do you need to do to get out next lap? Like, what can I do right now that'll serve me better for next lap? So that was kind of... That was the the thinking behind that one. So that that, um, that segues into the what's the darkest you went? I think it was like night one. Honestly, like I I kind of underestimated how dark and cold the night was, and how the body just craves sleep. Like uh, like the circadian. I you know I part of my thought that I would be able to nap. Yeah, like 15 minute naps all the way through, like every 24 hour cycle, like 15 times 24. I was like, okay, that's like almost 16 hours of sleep a day. If I do it in 15 minute chunks and I know sleep doesn't work like that. Like there's cycles and deep sleep and yada, yada, yada. But, uh, you just can't sleep during the day at all. And then at night, there's nothing that you can do, but think of sleep, even when you're skinning, even when you're skinning hard, um, it's like that is quite quite calling so i uh i had refrained from caffeine on day one completely and uh yeah like halfway through the night i was like no no no, this is this is dire we're actually like we need to we need to get some caffeine on board i did although i did uh so i worried a bunch of people with my 59 59 lap um but that was totally intentional i stopped at the uh top shack at patrol and hung out with uh ski patrol not ski patrol john but the the crew up there um i used to coach at black mountain so it was really cool to revisit that top shack and they have a great setup there and i just love the people at black mountain so it was like 
instead of taking my break at the bottom where it was actually, it was actually super cold on day two, Saturday morning, but the top was sunny and gorgeous. And like, there's, so there's like quite an inversion at play there. So I just came down at like 55 minutes, pop the skins on and like cross the line. And, um, yeah, <laughs> it's like, it's funny though. How many people were like, Oh my God, cutting it a bit close. I was like, I was, I was at the start line. Do you actually have conversations it. with Will about stopping? Oh, absolutely. That was the, uh, that was the hardest, or that that's when I realized like this event is not really, it's not a race. There's no finish line. So at the end it becomes a lobbying event. Um, so it was, it was, that was actually super hard to broach in a way that was like tactful and respectful. And I just bodged it completely the first time. And I was like, when are you going to quit? And that was maybe two on the nose. Um, and then I, I actually had to like make up to him later and, and be like, Hey, I really respect you. And I'm not trying to be mean. I just, you know, we have this history of shit talking in uh, in schemo. And, uh, it was great when, uh, Danny finally showed up after his, uh, quarantine, Danny was on the skin track with Will and me. And then, uh, and then Danny and I started going at it because that's just, that's our dynamic. Like we love the smack talk. Like that's, that's the, that's the, uh, the bond that we share is just talking, just running our mouths at each other. And Will was just sat there watching this and he's like, Oh, I think I got, I think he got the most mild version of that possible. Um, but it was pretty funny at the end there. Uh, so but yeah, no, to answer how, your question. Yes, absolutely. There have to be discussions like when, are, when, are, how, how long is your spreadsheet? How many hours are you ready to go for? And he's like, well, I think I can go for five days. And I was like, well, I think I can go, you know, I don't think I need to sleep at all. So I can go forever. <laughs> he's just like, you're just talking. But, uh, I think how what much, did it in how the much end more is, did you have? Uh, well, I'll tell you what, my first thought when he, when he said that he was calling it and after like that realization sunk in and we were going up, I was like, shoot, man, we're at 91,000 vert and a hundred thousand isn't that far away. Like we could bang out eight more laps, like really quickly before dark and just like get that hundred K. Um, so I had that much more night would have night would have really sucked. If you guys, if we had to go into the night again, that would have sucked, but I would have done it. So. I mean, Monday night huffalumps are terrifying. Yeah, yeah. I don't know that they get any bigger, though. They just, uh, especially after you've been seeing them for four days, they're kind of friendly. <laughs> you know, you're like, you start to make friends with the huffalumps in the dark. Yeah, so you had... Um... I mean, you were, were you prepared for a hundred laps? Was that a number that you had a hundred jokes, hundred questions? Yeah. I had a, yeah. 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 I had a, I had a uh, hundred questions prepared. Um, my pit crew. So I, I scheduled pit crew out through Monday morning. And then I think on Tuesday, I just put God in there. Um, which I think is who I expected to meet. Um, but I figured at that point there would be like, you know, a handful of ski, the whites people around and, or sorry, white mountain ski company people around, I, I, you know, I thought that I could like pick up somebody or convince somebody to like pitch in. 
Because at that point, it's pretty ridiculous. And I think that there would be somebody with a day off from work or something. Because oh, yeah. there's, there's nothing more that we want on Monday than to help people out. It's full, yeah. on, full on babysitting, well, yet we need the babysitters too. <laughs> you, uh, yeah, you say that, that you know, you, you don't want the, the event to go on at all, but then, you know, here you are fixing my boot at whatever o'clock in the morning and everything and making the whole race run and like, you, yeah, I, I think you kind of like the suffering. I mean, absolutely. So yeah. on, on like the hard scale of this, this event, like where does this rank in some of the endurance stuff you've done? I mean, it's totally unique, but how would you mm. describe it to someone that's going to like really push, push their limits? I would say come with a strong mental game. Uh, I'd say it's a, it's mentally the hardest thing I've ever done. Um, Sorry, it's Mars mentally for the starting and stopping. Yeah, 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 yes, exactly. Getting at oh man, the dirty looks that I gave my pit crew uh, when it was time to get out of my chair. They were like, "You, uh, you really didn't want to start moving," and that's that's the hardest part is like going from not moving to getting going again. Um especially when it's cold and windy out and you have your nice warm tent. Um, yeah, stepping outside is pretty brutal. Yeah, because it gets to be late and then everybody's like, well, not everybody, but a few people, they say, oh, you know what you should do? On day two, make it a 55-minute lap and on day three, make it a 50-minute mm-hmm. lap. And I'm like, then it's a race. And this isn't a race. I said, the clock will take everybody out. Yeah. Yeah, it will in the end. Well, the mountain's you know, undefeated. You're, the mountain and the clock I, are both undefeated. So yeah, you know what? You're right. <laughs> I, uh, I I had some. I had my doubts. I was a little bit worried that I'd have to call in for work on a on a third day. And as a teacher, you only get three days off per year. Well, except for the other 185. But um, I was like, oh man, I'm I could actually be in trouble for this one if it goes into like Wednesday or Thursday. Um, but but no, yeah, sure enough, Will was uh, not excited to do a fourth night. And um, I actually, I got to thank you guys for only renting the tent for three days. That uh, thing, taking down the big ad- event tent, and I saw him under his little pop-up with uh, the two people that had been there the whole time and Danny recovering from COVID with no heater. And I was like, oh, man, that's so, not going to work. That's just self-preservation for us. Andrew and I <laughs> yeah, can't take that tent down by ourselves. So as long as there's <laughs> 12 people to help, we're like, the tent's coming down. Yeah. No, no, no. You got to take the tent down. Um, yeah, that's an idea how you could end the event earlier. Just just make it colder. Just take away everyone's tent. Last tent standing. <laughs> so oh, no, so no, no tents, no food, all self-supporting. And definitely no caffeine. Yeah. Yeah. If you really wanted to make this hard, like take away caffeine and all stimulants and um, shut down the hot water, take away the food. That would suck. That would be awful. <laughs> yeah. It's hard enough. I don't think we need to make it that much harder. But, um, well, you could, you, you could keep all those around for the first 24 hours. Fair, you know, enough. Fair enough. Be nice to the mortals. 
so I guess like um, we're we're gonna get booted off this in a minute here, but like, mm. what are, what are your takeaways? Like you know, people. I mean, I mean this like this event. Uh, it came and went. I'm sure you went into it thinking like, I am gonna, you know, it's me versus me. I, I'm gonna see what I'm capable of, and if people can hang, great. If not, like I know, like you were mentally kind of on this quest. But now that it's one thing to think about it and prepare for it. But now that you've like been through it, mm. not, like, what do you, th- what do you make of it all? Dude, it's people. It's all about the people. Um, and you know, going into this, I thought that I would be testing my limits and going inward and like that, but no, when it came down to the end of it, I knew that there were that many people watching online and, and like you had made your predictions that I was in the, in the hunt for the top three. And, and there's just like so much expectations but it was also like well within my abilities that I was like, there's no way that I can walk away without doing everything that I can to win. Um, and then it's like meeting people on the skin track and having conversations and being nice to other people and like making decisions together. Like the, uh, the, the lightning storm. How crazy was that? Is that the first lap in last year standing history that's been canceled for lightning? Well, I mean, I mean, yeah, it's yes. the first lightning I've ever really experienced in winter on a ski resort. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so that was a crazy one where, um, we we're like, Whoa, that was crazy. Uh, was that a flash of light? And I was like, well, there's no thunder. And then thunder came. So everyone was looking around. Um, but then we had to, then the second clap came and it was like, you know, flash clap. And you know, that was like, stop the group. Like, like we got to make a decision guys. Like, are we going up? Are we going down? Like we got to contact the race, you know? So that's when we call, when I called the pits or my pit crew to talk to you. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then like somewhere like halfway in the middle of that call, it was like half the field was walking down and it was like, Oh, I guess group decision made. <laughs> so we just turned around the whole field and came down and, um, which was the right call. You guys did the right call on that one. And, and I think safety is super important, but, uh, you know, yeah, it's all about the people inspiring people, connecting people, you know, you guys do a great job with that. So, yeah, I look at it like you cool. guys, you guys are like the class of 2024. You have this opportunity to meet a ton of incredible people on the skin track. You have mm. all this time to kill. It resets every lap. There's no point in like sprinting out into the front. Oh yeah. There's gonna be la- plenty of laps by yourself, but man, they, they're a lot more enjoyable when you have to strike up a conversation with someone else. And, and you guys were, you know, you guys are keeping this thing a lot like a float. If it wasn't for you, if it wasn't for Will, Brent, you know, I look at Lucas and Cameron, like all the people that took this thing way deep. It's like, it's two different events. You have event like the tw- first 24 hours where it's yeah, the 24 hour, a crazy yeah. amount of people are still involved. And then there's this whole other event that's like, all right, now we're, now we're down to business. But, What's going to happen. But then it's so much bigger because it goes online. And then people start watching and then my pit crew starts feeding me like, dude, you wouldn't believe how many people are watching right now. It just gets crazy. So how Um, much, yeah. Tell me like the reach of this event, like how many people have contacted you about it or like, have you felt a lot of the feedback? Well, the Boston Globe was pretty cool. That was super cool. Um, And then like Maine, 
something or another. But then the coolest thing is like my students knew about it when I walked in on Monday and they're like, Hey, heard you did a thing. And I'm like, saw it on the news. And actually they, they all said they saw it on Instagram. They didn't say they saw it on the news. Like, same, did you see it in the same thing? Did you see it in the paper? They're like, no, saw it on Instagram. But, uh, oh, hey, last thought before we get booted off. Um, there's a bunch of, bunch of, uh, last years out there that haven't found their limit yet. What do you think about a, a quarter quell? Invite everyone, all the winners back in 10 years and, uh, see, see how bad it can get. The champion of champions. I think Danny, I, I'm not going next year. I'm saying that right now. Well, not going next year, but ten years from now or five years from now. Why are you going next like, year, dude? I got a family. So <laughs> I got work. It's gonna be <laughs> this thing's gonna go for five days next year. Yeah, if we brought back every finisher, Brody. Yeah, ben, get Ben Eck. Ben on get ski, Ben on a schemo setup. Ben on a schemo setup. Jesus, you Danny. The number of people competing on suboptimal gear. The freaking Nordic get Cam get Cam Nordic Cam on AT bindings. Well, well, you guys did your part on that. So his issue was he's like my feet are perfect. I'm not sticking my boots. Hmm. It All wasn't right. anything well, else. Maybe he's... Dude, what an animal! I don't know. Yeah, maybe maybe he unlocked the secret with the Nordic boots, but just needs a shock absorber in his binding. I don't know. Or yeah, or better wood glue holding his bindings into his ski. Something tells me those bindings were not engineered for how how many laps do you do? Fifty yeah. Fifty four laps. Fifty four thousand so, feet. Yeah. No. Fifty four no. hours. And uh Ilana called it uh coral reef skiing. Coral reef conditions at night and i was like that's highly accurate for a snow condition it was as hard as it gets and like sharp rough edges so oh and he he ran down the lap too that was wild that was absolutely (laughs) fucking wild and then he sat down and goes oh man got my heart rate up (laughs) for the first time (laughs) in the event (laughs) Uh uh-huh yeah, no, we thought that I was rooting for that guy to win. Really thought that he could, but um, heck, you know, he definitely. I guess he found he found me, his limit. Made me think that we're gonna have to rework our rules to really like categorize what, um, what this event was. Yeah, what uh did he did he say what why he quit was it the was it just the icing up and the bumps on the Nordic skis or yeah, yeah the the descents got, were not safe at some point on those skis, yeah. and and his like you know, his physical condition. He, I was following him for a bunch of laps, and he was—he looked smooth on the Nordic setup. He's a really, really good skier. Um, his, so. his dad says he's been on skis since he was eight months old. Yeah, that checks out. Yeah. All right, All right we we got um we got to move on. It was great. Yeah, great to chat with you. Thanks for um sharing what went what what went down in your head because uh, a lot of people were just watching the the live timing and the Instagram feed and uh, it's super cool. I mean, I was super proud of what you did and, and incredibly impressive raising the bar once again. And you and Will like, and, and all the other guys that kept this thing going, um, can't thank you guys enough. And I don't know the interest in this and people that get inspired to do big things is all a result of you guys. So 
thanks um thanks, thanks for putting on one hell of a performance yeah look forward to hearing from the other guys too because uh they couldn't have done it without the assist so will was incredible absolutely incredible hats off to that guy and uh and the other six that made it over 48 hours or whatever that was that was crazy right yeah, on. We'll, we'll, all... we'll see you at the hot dog stand next year sound good i did say i'd be running the hot dog stand yeah right next to uh polly's pancakes especially if i got a seat next to polly or um declan yeah yeah i'll be there all right cool take Peace. care justin bye later what's up will all right how about now andrew can you hear me sound, yep all right oh you got your software engineer headwear on yeah yeah that's that's the way it goes <laughs> oh man right on well thanks for taking the time to chat this is like you know we see one side of the participants and that's just like on the course and everyone's in their own world at, at times but um i think monty monty's here but he just had to step out for a second so i think just start off with just your background and what led you to this point to jumping in last year standing yeah sure um so i guess background on myself i'm a software developer from uh just outside of boston massachusetts <clears throat> um athletically did a lot of uh middle distance distance running through high school and a little bit in college until just kind of plagued with classic running injuries and just uh didn't want to continue down that path anymore um and eventually got into a little bit more of some some road cycling some mountain biking um and then just last year discovered the fun thing of of skiing and downhill skiing so that's kind of not too uh in my past but um and then being friends with uh danny romano it's obvious that you hang out enough with him you're gonna be <laughs> going uphill at some point so uh that started not long after getting into skiing and um yeah soon enough here we are at last year standing but um i think it was kind of funny the the situation that got me interested in it was that i was i think egging danny on to do it uh last year he seemed uh i mean i knew he would like it but i think he was hesitant about putting in the effort and like going the distance because i'm sure he knew he could uh put it put in a big effort like that but um our deal was always that oh yeah i'll come help crew for you this year or referring to last year and then uh, we'll swap roles for next year so um that was always always our plan and i think i kind of uh maybe went into it a little blindly but um definitely an enjoyable experience, enjoyable training cycle, and uh, uh, yeah, very memorable. <laughs> That's insane. That's wild to think that you just started skiing that last winter. Crew Danny, and in your mind, you're like, "Yep, it's my shot next year, and uh, this is something that I could probably do well at." Is that kind of the th thought process? Um, I don't even know that I necessarily thought I would do that well. It's just like, yeah, this seems like a really fun challenge to just put myself through this and seeing, seeing what I can do. Not that, that I'll necessarily do great in it, just that I know I'll come out having learned something about myself and having challenged myself. I think that's really what I wanted to get out of this. Well, I think you got that and some. <laughs> um, yeah, tell, tell us like a little bit about your strategy. I know that Danny... Danny definitely probably helped you think about 
training a little bit or just watching him and crewing him, you probably learned a lot of like what helped him achieve success. Um, but how, what did you adopt from him and what did you modify? Yeah. Um, at least in terms of training, I don't think he did a whole ton in terms of specific stuff for last year. I think he had a few days. Um, I'm not sure, maybe four days of like 10 K vert in a day. Um, and I mean, I tried to look at that, like, okay, I know I need to get some volume in. I know I need to ski a lot and ski a lot of volume. So that's kind of what I'm going to base this all around. So, um, I guess early in the season started doing a lot of weekday trips before work to, um, our, our whole mountain and for Boston people, uh, what you said, um, ski maybe two and a half hours there twice a week and do like, I don't know, I think 6k, 6k vert each time I was out there. So I started off doing some days like that. Um, and then sometime after, I think maybe the week around Christmas, I had COVID. So then after that, I could really start getting into some bigger stuff. Um, and I was doing, trying to do, still doing the same, uh, what you should do during the week and then get into trying to hit around 20k each weekend, um, either 10k, 10k or split it up some other way that made more sense. Um, so I think I was just really focusing on getting a lot of volume in since, um, I think I respond very well to that. <clears throat> um, so I think I took that approach a bit different than Danny in terms of just trying to make sure I'm used to this, this volume. And I think he was focusing a lot still more on uh, schema and all that type of intensity, which I was not doing any of. Um, so definitely more on the the volume side of things. Um, but yeah, like you said, definitely got to see so much from being there as crew and so late into the, um, the whole event last year and just seeing what other people doing with what he was doing, how he was taking care of his feet, how he was, uh, getting nutrition, all that. Um, so I think that was I, like, ironically the start of the training cycle of really just like seeing everything and being able to, um, immediately learn some, some key things from that. So you, you said something, um, about Danny doing schemo. Now, I mean, you weren't, you were on light gear, but you were, you were not on schemo gear, which almost puts you in a little bit, you know, you're in a different category. You're in the Fremo world. You're not on schemo, but you're on lightweight backcountry gear. Um, what do you think about that in hindsight now that, I mean, Justin was on straight up schemo and you were on this like, you, you know, different category Did that get in your head at all. Um, no, not at all. Really. Uh, the only time I really thought about it is when, uh, when Danny had got there the, the last morning, um, I don't know if they were from you or something that he had got some schemo skis to, for me to hop on. And it's kind of crazy. Just the difference in the, the glide from those alone. I mean the way too, but, um, gliding is, so much better than I did have a pair of the, uh, Pomoka, I think the race pro 2.0. So, I mean, they should glide pretty well, but I guess just the, the surface area of them and the weight it's, it makes a big difference. Um, but it's, it's kind of interesting though. Cause I think the, the sure it would have helped to be on the faster gear, but it's, it seems like at a certain point, once you clear the the fitness threshold for the race, it's kind of just like how much can you mentally endure? Um, and maybe, yeah, sure. Lighter stuff would have been maybe let me mentally endure a bit more, but um, <clears throat> I guess I don't think that was what, uh, what, what it decided things. 
House, Mon- House. Monty's back here, so. Yeah, I'm back. It is so windy, it blew the grill over outside. <laughs> oh. So it was in the middle of the road, so I just got it. Oh, thanks. So, Will, how serious are you? How do you mean? So when you were doing the event, it seemed like it was all business. And it was only towards like the 60th something hour, I think when Danny got there, I saw you like cracking a smile and like, but besides that, you're just like laser focused, eyes forward, getting up the hill. I think, uh, I don't know. I'm, I guess I'm sure anyone that you talk to would say that's just more or less my demeanor. Um, I think it's maybe to my benefit. I'm a very introverted person. So it, it made sense for me to kind of just stay very consistent and steady throughout the whole race. And that was easy to do when I'm not feeling like I need to stay with other people and chatting with them the whole time up the mountain. Um, so it's kind of nice that I, could really fall into my own rhythm, have some music going. Um, and it was funny. There were a few times, obviously when I was with other people going up the mountain, it was like, Oh, this is kind of annoying. Like now I'm behind pace, not getting as much rest, not going to sleep as much or whatever. Um, but, uh, I don't know how serious I am. I, I guess I am a little serious, but, uh, so what, what was the, yeah. what was the playlist? Give me two or three songs that really pumped you up. <clears throat> Um, well, to be honest, I don't know what was playing. I think I put on something on Spotify and then it just took off from there. Um, my friends even went out of their way, I think by the second day to go and make, uh, a hype up playlist for me that I was just, by the time I really needed it, I was just like too out of it to go to my phone and switch it on. So never even got to it during the event. What not? And I, how ironic is that, that you and Justin polar opposites, you got loud and vocal and in your face, Justin, and then nice and reserved. Will the machine, the metronome, I mean, just watching your skinning, it was so like mechanical just going through the motions. But how did that affect you being paired with someone like Justin through the whole event because he was kind of floating in the back, but then I'm sure he'd catch up to you and um, try to strike up conversations. Um, Did that affect you at all? Um, It's interesting. I think more from like the, like the pacing perspective, I found that when, when I was on my own, it was very easy to stay consistent with pacing when there's other people there or slightly ahead of me. I found like I was having a hard time staying right in that, that same pace that I like to be at. And I owned, often ended up going a bit slower because of that and um i i don't know i guess i just really did like being alone and just staying in my head and not really wasn't even like staring at my watch or check having checkpoints along the way just it had a very natural rhythm to it but um uh but yeah i think that is the unique thing for me just i really did like having the the quiet time to be alone just have my be uh, alone to my thoughts on all that I mean, it's insane. I'm looking at your splits and you wrote this in your Strava, something about the standard deviation of like 70 seconds or something between all your laps. It's, it's clear that you had a, you had something that you were trying to achieve for time and, um, explain that a little bit. Like what, what were you doing? Why did you need this 20 minutes so badly between laps? Um, to be honest, when I came into it, I didn't really have a specific time for that. I wanted to be hitting. Um, I remember from Danny last year, he must've been doing about 
or I have in my head 40 to 42 minutes somewhere around there for laps. Um, and with that, I kind of had the idea that I, I knew I was doing more volume than him. So I assumed that I could be doing a little bit better than that, but honestly, it was just, that's where I felt comfortable when it, when we started off. Um, and that's kind of just what I stuck with. Uh, it was interesting at the start of the race, just to see how many people were going even faster than me. I was like, well, this is weird. I mean, most likely you guys aren't fitter than me, but I know, um, you could probably do more if you're relaxing a bit more. So it's kind of interesting just to see how different people are, are pacing and everything. But, um, that, that rhythm kind of just fell in pretty quick and for whatever reason it, it stuck with me. It was, like I said, you, after that Nordic lap, you come through, it was like, I was watching the same movie again and again and again. It's like, oh, here this Shawshank's on. Gotta watch this part. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, now, when things got down to, um, I guess, the third night, uh, and it's just there's like a few of you in it, what were your thoughts? What were you thinking? Are, are you looking at a number? Are you looking at goals? Are you looking at your competitors? What are you sizing up in the moment there? Um, at that point, I mean, I'm sure I know everyone is having a hard time at the nights, but that night especially you can really start to see it because i think a lot of the laps i don't know what it ended up being um but i'm sure it's the first to the top on most of the laps and you can start seeing people get further and further down with their headlamps as they're still coming up as i'm starting to ski down um and i just kind of know that everyone is starting to hurt a lot more um but um thoughts it's really just i need to make it to sunrise i think uh like i spoke to you about after the race, um, after the event, sorry, <laughs> that, uh, I really just didn't want to stop at, at night. Um, I knew that would be the hardest part for the race. Um, and I knew if I made it to sunrise, things would get uh, a whole lot better. And it's just every night, it really surprised me that as soon as the sun came up, you're just like, wow, <laughs> I could do this a whole nother day. It's kind of, it's kind of scary. Yeah, it's like the rejuvenation off of daylight is insane when you've been trapped in the darkness for 12 hours. Did you like harness the energy of the souls of the other people dropping as well? Did that give you a bump when you're like, oh, this person's gone and you're like, all right, there's just three of us now? Um, A little bit, but not like not like crazy. I, I think for the most part, I was trying to just I wasn't really paying attention to that, just trying to stay focused on myself and what I can do. Um. And just, I keep saying to everyone that I talked to is that my job was so simple. All I had to do is go up and go down and my crew did everything stressful. And this was like a very singular focus, just go up and come down. Don't worry about anything else. So, um, I mean, sure. It was nice when you saw someone else drop out, but I, I don't think it was too much of a, a real motivating thing. Yeah. Talk about your crew. Give a shout out to your dad or whoever, yeah. <laughs> what went down when Danny, Danny got sick. Yeah, I sent, um, so I had uh, my main crew, uh, my girlfriend, Katie, and my dad from uh, coming from Long Island, New York. So he had a, a heck of a drive. But uh, yeah, I think it was maybe Tuesday, uh, Tuesday of the, the event. And I got a text from Danny. It was just the uh, like a rapid COVID test. And he had like an uh-oh text attached to it. Um, and yeah, naturally just go into panic mode because... Um, 
I, I, I felt like coming into this, that was kind of a, a superpower to have someone that had done gone the distance last year um, and have them on my side. And also because of just how much of a, a mentor he's been through this whole process and how much I've learned from him. Um, it was a, a bit of a blow to learn that uh, he wouldn't be there, at least not certainly not for a while. Um, so sent a, a panic text to my parents, not asking them to, to come up or help or anything, just that like, Oh no, no, now what do I do? Kind of thing. Um, but uh, yeah, eventually my dad uh, just said, all right, I'm in, I'm coming up. So I think he kind of just threw everything he could, he could have thought of into the car since he didn't have much notice and um, hurried on up here. It must've been, I don't know how long, maybe eight hours to get up from Long Island. So it was a, it was a hike for sure. It depends on which bridge he takes. Monty's from Monty's spent some time in Long Island. Oh, what um, yeah, what did uh, what did your dad make of all of this? This is, I mean, pretty insane. <laughs> yeah, it's a good crash course for sure. Um, I think he's still he's still in the. I think we all are. Uh, Katie, myself, and my dad are all in the, just like we're still exhausted from this. I think we're still digesting it, but I, he certainly thought it was a crazy experience. Um, I'm sure he couldn't have thought of that there were this many crazy people that existed in <laughs> in New England to do like some skiing stuff like this. Um, but I would like to to have a chat with him to hear a little more about that as he's had time to think about it more. <clears throat> well, he once it gets it past two or three days, he was one of the people I grew up in that would be like. How can we make this thing shorter? And I was like, you don't. It's not up to us. <laughs> it's it's not it's not a race. You don't shorten it. You don't make it a speed thing. You make it a the clock and the mountain will get you. Yeah. Yeah. At some point it will. <laughs> yeah, it's really interesting the mentality of it. Cause looking at your splits again, like, you know, your slow lap was you still had twenty minutes and it's and it just shows like how mentally challenging this con the the race format is, the event format where you need a reason to go back out every lap. Um, and so, what what happened those last few laps? Um, I think I was just sort of had enough of it. I think the uh, I think I was the, to be honest, I think I was worried that we could keep going into another night. And that was just the thought of having to endure another night of, uh, <laughs> sleepwalking up a hill. is just, wasn't something I really wanted to do again. Um, now if I could or, or not, I don't know, but in the back of my mind, I was honestly worried that we both could. So, uh, and if I wasn't going to go through that, uh, if I didn't want to go through another night, um, I guess I didn't see a point of pushing until that point. So how much of your drive is internal and how much is it external? Um, external from other people, you mean? Not from inside you. Isn't that internal? That's what I said. How much is this internal and how much is external? Like how much is validation from other people or making other people happy versus like, <clears throat> this is oh. really something I want. I, zero external. I think it's always about <laughs> what uh what's gonna make me tick or what's a good goal to work for. Um, I don't think I do almost anything for that external satisfaction like that. It was just the verbiage of like, oh, I have to do this. You don't have to do it, 
But you wanted to do it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And what would you change it? Like, what are you going to change for next year? Oh, right. <laughs> well, well, we'll have to see. <laughs> you like what I did there? <laughs> <laughs> I'll get back to you on that one. <laughs> oh, come on. No. Um, I think that's fair. To when you went when you went into this though, what sort of expectations did you set for yourself? Um, obviously, you had numbers that Danny Danny threw down, and you know your fitness was good. It was just simple as like, I know I've trained really well for this. I can probably do better than Danny. Or was there? Did you give yourself a carrot to chase, or was it just like we'll see and find out and just take it lap by lap? Um. I think Danny had placed the idea of just no matter what, get to 48 hours, don't stop until then. And then you can start thinking of what to do next. Um, and I think, I think at some point I either called him or was texting him and just saying like, Oh man, I really need some more intermediate goals. I don't remember if it was before that 48 or after that. Um, I probably after that going into the next night and just like, needing more intermediate things. And he was starting to uh, talk to me about, okay, we'll just now start to worry about getting to the next position. Maybe there were five left at that point. So just worry about getting to the four, three, whatever. Um, and then seeing what you can do. But um, yeah, I think knowing that Danny had done 63 hours was kind of uh, a good benchmark, but um, there I think always in the back of my head was the the unknowns of just how I'm going to deal with the sleep part of it and the mental aspect. Cause that was just, you can't train for that. And I certainly didn't want to do like sleep deprivation training or anything crazy like that. So what did you find out? Like what hardships with sleep did you encounter out there? Um, to be honest, I was kind of surprised how well I did with the sleep. Uh, I don't think I really respond to caffeine that much. Um, I had maybe I had a, certainly did have a lot of mini cokes, but uh, and some Red Bull. But I don't think I really ever felt like okay, I had a Red Bull and now I feel like I'm amped up for at least a lap or anything. Um, I'm not saying that it hurt me, but I don't think that it had the same effect as most other people with caffeine. Um, for I don't know. I think for the first two full days, I think. I would always try and like take a, take a rest and close my eyes and everything. But I don't know if I slept in those rest periods more than twice of that. So that was kind of, I guess I know in general that I'm not a good napper, but I was kind of surprised even being that tired, it was still hard for me to fall asleep. But um, definitely in that third day, it was starting to get just so exhausted that I could really just <clears throat> pass out almost instantly when I get on the, on the chair. Um but I think, yeah, just it's just kind of shocking how well the human body can kind of handle this lack of sleep. Because I mean, <laughs> go my whole life without ever really doing an all nighter, and now all of a sudden I can stay awake for uh, three and a half days. It's kind of shocking. <laughs> I'd say so. I wouldn't say it's very normal. Um, no. I think a lot of people experience sleep skinning. Maybe on the, they kind of zone out a little bit. I know. Uh, Justin talked about closing his eyes and just using echolocation of people skinning around him that first night of just being, I'm just going to drift off a little bit and like, boom, what we will wear, like wake up and be like, I, I'm here. Um, and I know Ben Lane fell asleep and went up the wrong trail 
<laughs> and then had to schwack through the woods to get back on track or something. Um, he came up to me and he said, hey, you got to look after me. I just woke up on the wrong trail. It's like, all right. But I know that there's this self-preservation thing with a mind on the descent that just wakes you up whenever I feel tired and I'm out there on that descent. It's like really invigorating. Did you feel the same way? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely on the descent. I mean, never worried about falling asleep or anything like that remotely on the descent, just the, I guess the wind in your face, getting that rush of air and everything. Um, But on, on the uphill, I think there are definitely some, moments where you get really tired but i never really was in that like sleep skinning state that i know some people fell into um i think at one point when i was getting really tired and probably like at three or four a.m i just had done like a 30 second hard effort to try and try and wake up a bit but uh i don't really think it did <laughs> did much for uh staying awake and what was really interesting was after that uh my heart rate so my heart rate probably went up to 180 during the effort and it just did not come down after I stopped for that. So for the whole rest of the run, maybe got down to 170, but it was just kind of crazy. It's like, that's, yeah, that's lack of recovery. Yeah, the heart rate's not coming down now. Welcome to our world. <laughs> yeah. So what, um, yeah, what things, if, if you're talking to someone that's going to try this event, like what things did you find that maybe I don't know you sort of validated after the fact? Like you went, you went, and you implemented some stuff that worked really well, and what things, when if you came back, would you maybe change a little bit? Yeah, um, training. I think that went as well as it could in terms of just getting the volume in. But in terms of like uh, during the event, uh, I couldn't believe how good my feet were doing through the whole thing. Um, I was doing, so I had three pairs of liners and I don't know how many, maybe double that in socks, but, um, and I was trying to swap every two laps for both liners and socks. Um, and I had pre-taped my feet with on any spots that I know I normally get blisters, which I, I mean, you learn throughout the season of just like where, where the issue areas are. Um, and I had almost no issues at all with feet feet. Um, I mean, I have some like small blisters, but certainly nothing that was bothering me during the event, which I was kind of shocked by, but I'm really happy that that worked out so well. Um, For nutrition stuff, I think that went pretty well. I think in the first, at least the first 12 hours, I was really going overboard with eating um, and definitely had some, some stomach discomfort for that. And uh, what was kind of interesting is like once I feel like I get into a stomach discomfort spot, I can kind of switch to some, some liquids uh, like scratch super fuel type stuff. And that seems to, I mean, if I just keep going through that for, for enough laps, it seems to calm things down. So that was nice to have a backup option to still be able to to get some food in, but not um, or something that was easy to digest. Um, Let's see. Other than that, I think everything was going well with like timing. I, th- I eventually fell into a good rhythm of uh, taking one lap of like eating and doing boot swaps or whatever with that stuff and any other care I needed. And then the next lap was just to completely do absolutely nothing and try and sleep. Um, so it was nice to have that kind of back and forth balance. Um, 
but improvements otherwise i'm gonna have to to think about that a bit more but uh definitely the food at the start of the event would uh need to tone that back a bit but just so good having different options and different things to fall back on because sometimes your stomach just really can't handle what you had plans for and so do you have more questions monty i'm good yeah i guess what's We'll wrap this up with like, what's your takeaway from all this? Something that you trained for, you watched Danny did it. You got like so far in it, second furthest anyone's ever been. You had Justin questioning what he was doing. And it sounds like you guys were both in that same position of like, yeah, we can keep going, but why? Like, do we want it? Do we want to endure another night? But now that it's all said and done and you've had a couple sleeps, what, uh, what are you left with? Yeah, it's it's something I, I feel I find myself thinking about that a lot. Like, well, yeah, what did I what did I learn from this? And I think, um, I mean, I, I've always known that I'm a very goal oriented person. I've loved having this to work towards. Um, in terms of what I've learned about myself, I think it's just kind of shocking how much you can achieve when you set yourself up for such a like singular focused goal like this, um, and more so that you can't do this alone. It's incredible what the, my crew did to dedicate themselves to work for me for all this time. Um, but, uh, it's just, I, that's, that's a big question of like, what, what is the big takeaway of this? Um, I think it's just kind of shocking what you can really achieve when you're (laughs) drilling it like this. Was this easier than you thought or harder than you thought? Um, it's a it's a weird balance i think i think physically easier mentally uh, unbelievably draining <laughs> what, what do you what do you want to do with your skiing i mean you just skied more than most people skin in their lifetime you understand that right <laughs> like the, no the amount of volume you did uphill and downhill it's like what do you where else do you want to go with skiing or is this going to be um something that you're going to go like become a maniac about or is it just gonna be like yeah I, I could ski sometimes um well i think i need to spend some time learning how to to properly ski some some harder stuff so i don't have to poop my pants every time i go up left gully i think that'd be a good start um other than that in terms of like uphill stuff uh i don't know i think i'd like to to get into some schema racing a bit but um i don't know that i'll ever be something that i want to be like extremely competitive about but uh definitely would like to try it try it out some more but um i think there's still some plenty of good uh touring to be done in the back country in, in new england that i haven't seen most of yet so i'd uh just love to keep getting out there and getting some some new things done sounds good no we'll get you out on some schemo gear yeah we know some guys yeah some guys. i hope so <laughs> we got wild corn Plug for Wild Corn Schemo coming up April 5th or 6th. Okay. One of, one of those days, the Saturday in April. Um, it's fun. So we'll try to rally the crew. All right. Well, thanks for your time. We're getting booted off Zoom soon here once again. But um, no, really what I told Justin and everyone else and, and Brent and Lucas, it's like super special that you guys all laid it out there. Like, I don't know why sometimes we do this stuff, but man – it's captivating and inspiring. So the people it's amazing how many people reach out and they they said how fun this event looked and how much visibility it gets and 
how good of an experience that all the participants have. And that's a lot largely attributed to the front, the sharp end that drags this thing out and makes it such like a, a talking piece is what could I do if I went and did this format? So thank you. Um, and your crew for putting on, like I said, uh, this kind of record setting performance. Yeah. Well, thank you guys for putting it on for us. Cool. Well, see you, Will. get some more sleep, rest <clears throat> up. We'll see you out on the hill. Cool. Thank you. See you guys. Still recording. Do you want to go into it and just knock it out? Sure.